Hi, Dave Emery here. This is, for the record, program number 1258, Pandemics Incorporated, Part 8. This is being recorded on September 2nd of the year 2022. Before getting into the main body of the program, as always, a number of considerations. Be aware that uh, I turn every for the record program into a long article length written description. I use a very pedantic format. And so to compensate at least up to a point for that, I put the printed sources upon which my lines of argument are based into the website or on the website, spitfirelist.com. If you select the, use the select category or choose the category function, go to the for the record section and you will find that. At the top of each written for the record description and at the top of each food for thought post at the left hand side of the front page of spitfirelist.com, there are a number of links. The link to subscribe to the comments is broken. However, uh, if you go to the comments section, uh, there are invaluable and very frequent contributions made by knowledgeable listeners. The vast majority of those contributions made by our brilliant contributing editor, Parafractal. There is way too much going on for me to cover in a one-hour weekly broadcast, so I emphatically recommend that listeners keep up with the comments in order to keep themselves abreast of what is going on. There also is a link, again, at the top of each written for-the-record description and at the top of each Food for Thought post, there is a link which will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made of For the Record by Sister Station WFMU. So if podcasts are the best way for you to keep up with what is going on, and that is increasingly the case in our media landscape with everybody uh, taking advantage of the uh, telephone that conquered the world, these smartphones, then WFMU's podcast function is for you. And there's a link to subscribe to the WFMU podcasts at the top of each written food for thought description, at the top of each written for the record description, and at the top of each food for thought article. I also emphatically recommend that, that listeners get the 32-gigabyte flash drive with all of my life's work on it. Uh, there will be a new flash drive coming out uh, this fall with updated information, all of the information about the war in Ukraine, about uh, Pandemics Incorporated, about Metabiaba, and uh, basically at this point the fairly frankly, if I do say so myself, credible presentation that, in fact, the coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 was made here in the U.S. Uh, all of that will be available on the new iteration of the flash drive. 
I'm also going to be doing another series of interviews with Jim Jamio and possibly with uh, some Zoom guests. And uh, that long series of interviews will be about JFK Revisited, the new Oliver Stone documentation. Uh, not, not documentation, but documentary, I should say. There is a lot of documentation on it. Uh, and that will be on the new flash drive as well. I will keep you updated on that. And uh, again, I think that we are, uh, frankly, in, in the last stages of our civilization. I don't think we're going to make it, as I've said before. I think there is a very strong and growing chance of a third world war. And uh, I think that at the risk of seeming kind of corny or way out, I think that as sentient beings, we have a responsibility to at minimum preserve a record about what has happened for future generations. And I can think of no better way of doing that than for listeners to get that 32 gigabyte flash drive, thereby making themselves a repository for this information. Now, this program, again, of Pandemics Incorporated, Part 8, uh, is going to talk about a number of disturbing corporate manifestations with regard to primarily COVID-19. Also, uh, we're going to take a look at the Aviator Glasses Joe, Joe Biden's uh, clandestine between-the-lines policy towards senior citizens, of which he is one. I want to emphasize at the beginning of this program, since we will be talking about vaccines at some length, I am not an anti-vaxxer. I think that vaccines, when properly made, properly tested, and properly vetted, are fundamental to the maintenance of human health worldwide. I couldn't be in an, an overall sense more pro-vaccine. That having been said, uh, vaccines, like any other pharmaceutical product, have to be properly tested and vetted. And one of the things that we are going to be looking at in this program concerns Peter Peel, whose ideological stance and the ideological stance of some of his fellow travelers has been basically that the FDA should be kneecapped, that its function should be reduced to a more or less automatic rubber stamping for big pharma's products to rush them out to market. This in awareness of the inevitability of collateral damage through uh, implementing such a process. However, Teal and company feel that the benefits to society would outweigh that collateral damage. It is essentially an uber-libertarian view toward the FDA. What we are going to be looking at in this program in part is a chilling well, chilling information that that very possibly under the pressure 
of the pandemic, and the evidence that that was deliberately created at this point is frankly quite solid, uh, that under the pressure of the pandemic, the Peter Thiel and company viewpoint of the FDA has been implemented. Basically, uh, prior to the pandemic, no human vaccine had ever been approved for human use after, uh, until after four or five years of human trials. And yet the coronavirus vaccines will roll out very, very quickly. Um, Peter Peel, despite being uh, obsessed with life extension and uh, with a perhaps exaggerated fear of death, I mean, none of us are crazy about it, but it is uh, uh, an inevitability. Peter Peel, however, has never accepted that. And for someone who is, to coin the term, so much of a thanatobe, afraid of death, a a thanophobe, I should say, afraid of death, uh, his... Apparent delight at the pandemic is a head-scratcher. One of the things that I think needs to be uh, kept in mind is that he, he approved of the pandemic because he felt that it projected us into a future which would otherwise have been held back. Is that in part because of the, uh, well, streamlining, handicapping, whatever, of the FDA? We also are going to take a look at what is taking place with regard to Joe Biden's FDA. Uh, yea, verily, as I speak on September 2nd of 2022, uh, there has been a new series of booster shots for COVID-19 that have been approved. Some of these, uh, the, these new boosters will reportedly present more protection against the Omicron variant as well. What is so disturbing is that these vaccines have been rolled out after trials on mice. And as commentators in the material I will present have pointed out, mouse trials are very unreliable with regard to uh, human response to any given drug. Uh, that is very disturbing. So too is the FDA's putting thumbs down on the one-shot old-school Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which, after all of the negative publicity, appears to have been the most, appears to be the most effective of the original three vaccines rolled out in the U.S., meaning meaning, uh, Moderna, BioNTech, Pfizer, BioNTech, those are mRNA vaccines, and Johnson & Johnson. Uh, Johnson & Johnson, again, appears to be the most effective, and they very well provide uh, better protection against the Omicron variant. Yet, despite that, the FDA has put thumbs down on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because of a rare blood clotting disorder which affects 3.25 in every 1 million recipients. That Rare blood clotting disorder has produced nine deaths so far out of 18 million recipients of the J&J vaccine. That's one in two million. By contrast, the mRNA vaccines have uh, basically been linked conclusively to a 
autoimmune disorder called myocarditis. That is an inflammation of the heart which takes place in strong, healthy individuals. And myocarditis uh, has been occurring in 11 per every 100,000 vaccine recipients. So the disqualification of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine appears, frankly, strange. Uh, One of the things I wonder about, and that concerns uh, corporate graft, uh, are some of the big pharma companies greasing the right palms, or in the case of uh, Moderna, is its profound Pentagon link uh, weighing in in any regard in this in this regard I should say, and we're going to take a look leading off the program at a lawsuit that has been filed by Moderna against Pfizer BioNTech, and that lawsuit raises some very interesting questions because uh, it brings to light some considerations that may, again, this is speculative, that may indicate that Moderna was more involved with the Pentagon EcoHealth Alliance Metabiota development of coronaviruses than we have been told. Certainly, Moderna was the recipient of Pentagon funds via DARPA, and that helped them roll out their vaccine. And then within two days of getting the genome from Chinese scientists about SARS-CoV-2, Moderna was able to uh, pivot to that vaccine. There are indications that they may have been involved at a much earlier stage in some of this research. Certainly the lawsuit that they have filed against Pfizer-BioNTech may very well, uh, in the course of the discovery process, lay bare some very important information, whether our hopelessly compromised media at this point uh, will even report that is another consideration. Now, uh, the name of the, the title, I should say, of the article, it is a New York Times article from August 26th of 2022. It is by Jenny Gross and Rebecca Robbins. It is titled Moderna, Sues Pfizer and BioNTech over COVID vaccine. Now, the key passage here is this one, and I'm going to read Terrafractal's long introduction to this article because the article is very technical, and some of the considerations, I think, are hover at the very periphery of our ability to uh, properly process those from a cognitive standpoint. In this article, there is the the following. Second, Moderna claims that Pfizer and BioNTech copied its full-length spike protein formulation for a coronavirus, which Moderna had created years before COVID-19 emerged. Coronaviruses refer to a large family of viruses that cause mild to moderate upper respiratory tract illnesses, according to the NIH. The more serious ones include SARS, MERS, 
and COVID-19. That would actually be SARS-CoV-2, the virus that produces COVID-19. One more time. Second, Moderna claims that Pfizer and BioNTech copied its full-length spike protein formulation for a coronavirus, which Moderna had created years before COVID-19 emerged. Coronaviruses refer to a large family of viruses that cause mild to moderate upper respiratory tract illnesses, according to the NIH. The more serious ones include SARS, MERS, and COVID-19. Another key a couple of passages. Moderna said on Friday that it was not seeking damages for activities before March 8th, and that none of the patents relate to intellectual property generated during Moderna's collaboration with the National Institutes of Health on COVID-19, which it said began only after patented technologies were proven successful in 2015 and 2016. Well, what were those? And uh, again, the lawsuit talks about Moderna product development in the period 2015 to 2016. And uh, if the full-length spike protein formulation for a coronavirus that Moderna had created years before COVID-19 emerged, that is a very interesting thing. It raises more questions than it solves. But uh, anyway, we're going to take a look at some of that, and I'm going to read Terrafractal's analysis. Again, the article, uh, New York Times, August 26th of 2022, Moderna sues Pfizer and BioNTech over COVID vaccine by Jenny Gross and Rebecca Robbins. Now, in uh, one of the comments that Terrafractal posted about this, He noted uh, the following, and I'm going to read his comments. In a newly filed lawsuit, Moderna asserts that the Pfizer-BioNTech mRNA corona vaccines are infringing on Moderna's patents. On one level, it is not particularly surprising, but what is rather eyebrow-raising in this lawsuit is the time frame of Moderna's claims. The company is arguing that Pfizer's vaccine basically copied work Moderna had already done on coronavirus vaccines involving human trials going back to 2015 and 2016. Beyond that, Moderna asserts the full-sequence coronavirus spike protein used in Pfizer's vaccine was developed by Moderna years before the pandemic. Last sentence again. That's two sentences. The company is arguing that Pfizer's vaccine basically copied what Moderna had already done on coronavirus vaccines involving human trials going back to 2015 and 2016. Beyond that, Moderna asserts the full-sequence coronavirus spike protein used in Pfizer's vaccine was developed by Moderna years before the pandemic. So this is potentially the kind of lawsuit that could end up revealing all sorts of information about the nature of Moderna's pre-pandemic coronavirus-related research. 
Perhaps the biggest set of questions that might be answered in this lawsuit involve Moderna's possible collaborative role in the broader U.S. government-funded game-of-function research being led by the EcoHealth Alliance in collaboration with labs around the world, including Xi Zhengli's or Zhengli Xi's lab at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or as I call it, the, the Oswald Institute of Virology, and Ralph Berich's lab at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. As we have seen, Ralph Barrett was working on developing coronavirus therapeutics back in 2017 using game-of-function-created coronaviruses in collaboration with Zhengli Shi's lab at the WIV. And Barrett also helped test the Moderna COVID vaccine in 2020. So was Moderna, which was funded by BARPA, at all involved in this other NIH-funded coronavirus-related game-of-function work, the circumstantial evidence sure points in that direction. Now, bear in mind at this point that EcoHealth Alliance is basically a defense contractor. Its primary funding sources are various Pentagon agencies and the U.S. Agency for International Development, a State Department subsidiary that often serves as a front for CIA. The science and policy advisor to EcoHealth Alliance, headed up, by the way, by Peter Bashek, who is of Ukrainian heritage in light of the Mebabayaba uh, presence at the Pentagon Laboratories in Ukraine. That looms uh, increasingly large. But uh, the science and policy advisor to EcoHealth Alliance was David, is David Franz. He was the commanding officer at one point of the U.S. Army's Medical Research Institute of Infectious Disease at Fort Detrick. He also, while working for Southern Research, was involved with the microencapsulation of the anthrax toxin that was used in the anthrax attacks here uh, in the immediate aftermath of September 11th. Bear in mind, too, that EcoHealth Alliance was uh, also uh, joined with uh, Methabiopa, another Pentagon contractor that uh, was involved in Ukraine and with Burisma, financed by Ihor Kolomoyskoy, uh, the same financier who financed Abar Battalion, the Azov Battalion, and the rise of Volodymyr Zelensky as a presidential candidate, and financed the TV network on which he gained publicity, that is to say, Zelensky. Uh, Metabiaba, in turn, using Again, affiliated with EcoHealth Alliance, it was synthesizing uh, coronaviruses. Metabiapa, uh using venture capital put out by Intutel, the venture capital arm of the CIA and the intelligence community, was developing coronavirus or uh, pandemic uh, insurance with Munich Reinsurance, a major player in third black industry and a remarkable and deadly Borman group that I think will ultimately prove to be the dominant consideration in human affairs on this planet. Uh, in 2018, as we have seen, uh, Metabiopa's business model for their pandemic insurance involved the spreading of a novel coronavirus around the world, and that necessitating social distancing, quarantining, and school closures. 
Again, that was in 2018. This at the same time that Eco Health Alliance is manufacturing just such novel coronaviruses, uh, a remarkably prescient thing for uh, metabiopic to be involved with. Now, continuing with Terrafractal's observation. And then there's the part of the lawsuit claiming that Pfizer effectively stole the full-sequence coronavirus spike protein sequence Moderna had worked out years earlier. This is a somewhat confusing part of the lawsuit since, as we've been told, it was the SARS COV2 spike protein sequence that was at the heart of the mRNA COVID vaccine developed in record-breaking time back in January of 2020. What is Moderna talking about when claiming that it already developed a coronavirus spike protein years earlier? Recall how Moderna was criticized back in 2020 over its decision to file a patent in February of 2020 for a beta coronavirus vaccine, a broad-spectrum vaccine designed for non-COVID coronaviruses without acknowledging the U.S. government's role in that research. Pfizer-BioNTech filed a patent for a similar universal coronavirus vaccine back in June. It appears that what Moderna is referring to when it claims to have developed a coronavirus spike protein sequence years before the pandemic. Uh, Basically, it appears that's what Moderna is referring to when it claims to have developed a coronavirus spike protein sequence years before the pandemic. But again, that just raises the obvious question. Was Moderna part of the whole EcoHealth Alliance game-of-function research on coronaviruses back in their 2015-2016 period. Don't forget that game-of-function research was technically banned in the U.S. from 2014 until the Trump administration lifted it in 2017. Also recall, and by the way, there are links in this uh, uh, text I am uh, reading, also recall how Barrich's game-of-function work that was started before the moratorium on game-of-function manipulations was put into place was allowed to continue under a special exemption. So if Moderna's coronavirus vaccine development involved the use of any viruses being generated by Barrich under an ex- exemption to the game-of-function moratorium, that would obviously be a very sensitive area of research. There's another facet of this story to keep in mind. Recall that fascinating September 2016 Stat News article, by the way, this is in, uh, uh, for the record, 1130 Moderna Uber Alles. Maybe it's 1130. I think it's 1130. Anyway, Moderna Uber Alles. There's another facet of this story to keep in mind. Recall that fascinating September 2016 Stat News article that described how Moderna has shifted its focus from mRNA therapeutics, which require numerous shots over years, to mRNA vaccines. It was seen as a disappointment by industry observers and a sign that Moderna was running into undisclosed setbacks involving side effects triggered by the lipid nanoparticle delivery vehicle for the mRNA. But as we saw, Moderna was insisting at the time that it was experiencing no such setbacks. 
And yet, observers were forced to take their word because the company was being so secretive and releasing almost no information about its internal trials. There is no mention of coronavirus-related research at all in that article, while there is mention of work on things like a Zika virus vaccine. And yet, in the new lawsuit, Moderna claims it successfully carried out human trials on a coronavirus vaccine as far back as 2015. It would seem that Moderna's coronavirus-related vaccine research was being kept under wraps during this period. We have to ask if the extreme secrecy around its work during this period may have been driven by the controversial nature of developing coronavirus vaccines using game-of-function coronaviruses generated by the EcoHealth Alliance network. Circumstantial evidence points in that direction. Moderna is apparently suing over patents it developed during its mostly still-secret DARPA collaboration, a collaboration that might be directly related to the mostly still-secret U.S. government-financed international collaboration dedicated to making and studying novel coronaviruses. Lawsuits have a tendency to unintentionally reveal secrets. And there are clearly an abundance of secrets still waiting to be revealed about Moderna's coronavirus vaccine research. Again, we emphasize the following very interesting detail in Moderna's complaint. The company is asserting that Pfizer and BioNTech copied Moderna's full-length spike protein formulation for a coronavirus, which Moderna claims to have created years before the emergence of COVID-19. One more time. Again, we emphasize the following very interesting detail in Moderna's complaint. The company is asserting that Pfizer and BioNTech copied Moderna's full-length spike protein formulation for a coronavirus, which Moderna claims to have created years before the emergence of COVID-19. So what exactly is Moderna claiming here? Recall how the sharing of the genetic sequence of SARS-CoV-2 by Chinese researchers with the global community allowed for Moderna uh, and its NIH collaborators to design the vaccine in just two days with just that spike protein sequence information. So if Moderna is suing Pfizer over the theft of a coronavirus spike protein sequence developed years earlier, we have to ask whether or not this part of the lawsuit is related to the universal coronavirus, unquote, vaccine Pfizer and BioNTech started testing back in June. Recall how Moderna caught flack back in August of 2020 after it filed patents related to the coronavirus vaccine that did not disclose the billions of dollars in DARPA money, including DARPA involvement in the development of a broad-spectrum beta coronavirus vaccine that Moderna had filed a patent for in February of 2020. And that, again, returns us to questions regarding Moderna's involvement with the pre-pandemic game-of-function coronavirus research carried out by the EcoHealth Alliance and collaborators like the WIV. 
because as we've seen, the creation of a broad-spectrum coronavirus was... Oh, here we go. I got my text a little mixed up. Because we, as we've seen, the, the creation of a broad-spectrum coronavirus vaccine was part of the pre-pandemic work done by the EcoHealth Alliance, the WIV, and Ralph Barrett's lab at UNC Chapel Hill. So was Moderna involved in that broad-spectrum coronavirus vaccine research? It appears to have been the case. And again, EcoHealth Alliance uh, partnered with Metabiota in Qtel Munich Reinsurance. And uh, again, a very unsavory uh, uh, set of associations. And again, I, uh, I can't refer listeners emphatically enough to uh, the earlier programs in the series for the record, particularly for the record programs 1251 through 1256. Now, again, I want to stress I'm not an anti-vaxxer, and in fact, I think that if, if there's something people want to do, uh, badger their health care providers, badger the FDA, badger the Biden administration to make the Johnson & Johnson vaccine more available, because it appears to be the most effective. And yet, from Stat News of May 5th of 2022, FDA limits use of Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 vaccine, citing clotting risk by Helen Branswell. Peter Marks, the FDA's vaccine lead, told Stat the agency reached its decision after a recent review of the data on the vaccine revealed another person in this country had died after receiving it. The night such death in the first quarter of this year. And uh, skipping down. The clotting disorder called thrombosis with thrombocytopenia or TPS is rare, occurring at a rate of about 3.25 cases per million doses administered. But the condition can be fatal or life-altering if the individual survives. With one death for every two million doses given in this country, the FDA decided that that is a risk most people don't need to take, Marx said. And uh, do note in that regard the following. As virus data mounts, the J&J vaccine holds its own by Apurva Mondavili from the New York Times on March 15th of 2022. And I'm going to uh, excerpt uh, this article. By now, all the vaccines appear to be performing about equally well against coronavirus infections. In fact, Johnson & Johnson appears to be holding up slightly better. Overall, then, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine appeared to be somewhat more protective against infection than the two alternatives. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine may produce antibodies that decline more slowly than those produced by other vaccines, some research suggests. Or those antibodies may become more sophisticated over time through a biological phenomenon called affinity maturation. Perhaps, some researchers suggest, the vaccine offered a more robust defense against the Omicron variant responsible for the huge increase in infections over the past few months. And studies 
have shown that the vaccine trains other parts of the immune system at least as well as the other two vaccines. Again, New York Times March 15th of this year, as virus data mounts, the J&J J vaccine holds its own. <laughs> Again, note, by now all the vaccines seem to be performing about equally well against coronavirus infections. In fact, Johnson & Johnson appears to be holding up slightly better. Overall, then, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine appeared to be somewhat more protective against infection than the two alternatives. The J&J vaccine may produce antibodies that decline more slowly than those produced by the other vaccines, some research suggests. Or those antibodies may become more sophisticated over time through a biological phenomenon called affinity maturation. Perhaps some researchers suggest the vaccine offered a more robust defense against the Omicron variant responsible for the huge increase in infections over the past few months. And studies have shown that the vaccine trains other parts of the immune system at least as well as the other two vaccines. The blood clotting disorder occurs in 3.25 per million, with nine deaths in 18 million recipients, one in every uh, two million. The myocarditis heart ailment occurs in 11 mRNA vaccine recipients per 100,000. That's a lot more. So why is the FDA going thumbs down on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? Is there some kind of graph there? I don't know. I would also note that in the future, if for the sake of the argument the U.S. were to continue to disseminate biological warfare weapons, mRNA can be crafted, mRNA vaccines can be crafted much more readily to counteract those organisms. So again, at the uh, edge of the fear factor here, uh, if the U.S. continues to disseminate wee beasties, uh, having RNA vaccines uh, ramp up may prove useful, but we will see what happens. At, at the very least, I think, it is suspicious and outrageous that uh, the FDA has put thumbs down on the uh, uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine, I think that people might want to make some noise about that. It appears that that is the best of the the vaccines we have uh, uh, available in this country. But now we have the new Omicron variant mRNA vaccines. They have been rolled out. They are now available. A chilling detail, a chilling presentation of information in an article by Rob Stein in NPR.org, August 18th of 2022. What's behind the FDA's controversial strategy for evaluating new COVID boosters? The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is using a controversial strategy to evaluate the next generation of COVID-19 boosters. The approach is stirring debate as the agency works to make new, hopefully improved boosters available in September to help prevent severe disease and save lives in the fall and winter. For the first time, the FDA is planning to base its decision about whether to authorize new boosters on studies involving mice instead of humans. Quote, 
for the FDA to rely on mouse data is just bizarre, in my opinion, says John Moore, an immunologist at Weill Cornell Medicine in New York. Mouse data are not going to be predictive in any way of what you would see in humans. And the rationale? We have 500 people a day dying of coronavirus right now. Those numbers sadly might very well rise in the fall and winter. Well, we'll see what happens. Now, as to why the FDA is doing things, and again, the, uh, uh, the new improved mRNA vaccines are basically uh, uh, <laughs> for mice and men, instead of mice and men, the uh, famed John Steinbeck novel. Uh, again, why are we seeing this? Why is the FDA putting thumbs down on J&J when it appears not only to be safer but more effective than either Moderna or and Pfizer-BioNTech? Uh, consider the following. There is an excellent biography of Peter Peel called The Contrarian that has been published by Max Chafkin. It was published in hardcover by the Penguin Press, copyright 2021. And in there, there is discussion about not only Peter Peel, but uh, ideological fellow travelers' view that the FDA should be handy, uh, basically kneecapped, that it should be turned into something essentially just a rubber stamping for big pharma products to be rolled out. Excerpting here. For Food and Drug Administration Commissioner, Peel attempted to nominate candidates who shared his belief that the FDA's main role regarding trials for drugs was unnecessary. The consensus view among drug developers, even many in Silicon Valley, has been, quote, you don't want to put individuals at risk, unquote, said Zach Weinberg, the co-founder of Flatiron Health, a Silicon Valley-backed medical research firm that is now owned by the pharmaceutical giant Roche. Quote, Peter Peel's view is that that will slow things down. His whole game is if a few people get hurt and that creates progress, he's willing to take that trade. One of Peel's allies in this crusade and his top pick to lead the FDA was Balaji Srinivasan, S-O-I-N-I-V-A-S-A-N, the Stanford computer science lecturer and cryptocurrency entrepreneur who's invested alongside Peel in Curtis Garvin's company and shared Peel's views. For every thalidomide, he tweeted, many dead from slow approvals. Peel had argued much the same. The agency's refusal in the early 1960s to approve thalidomide, a sleeping pill, is regarded as one of the great administrative success stories. In Europe, where a less regulated market allowed thalidomide to be prescribed to pregnant women, thousands of babies were born without fully formed limbs. Peel's other choice to run the FDA was Jim O'Neill, who'd run the Peel Foundation and have since worked as an investor at Mithril, M-I-T-H-O-I-L, Azure Royan's venture capital firm. He also believed in rolling back the FDA mandates about drug efficacy. And uh, more about Peter Peel's reaction. Uh, by the way, note that, uh, uh, well, well, we'll come to this in a second. More from the contrarian. How could anyone devoted to life extension not be moved by so many preventable deaths? 
By late March, more than 550,000 Americans had died from COVID, making the pandemic deadlier than U.S. casualties in World War I and World War II combined. The U.S. has suffered one of the worst per capita mortality rates in the world. How had those grim figures not moved him to break with Trump, or at least spend more ambitiously to help? Peel spoke to Die Weltwoche, a Swiss newspaper whose editor, Roger Koppel, is a member of the country's National Conservative People's Party. During an interview with Koppel, Peel characterized the disease as a mental pathology rather than a physical one. Quote, I see it as a psychological indicator that people knew deep down there is no way back to the old normal, unquote, he said. He continued, quote, COVID-19 created a shift. There used to be this feeling that the future was being held back somehow. Changes that should have taken place long ago did not come because there was resistance. Now the future is set free, unquote. He was, it seemed, welcoming the pandemic as a chance to reset society according to his ideals and plans. Well, again, is that what happened to the FDA? Uh, I would note, too, uh, Philidemai was created by I.G. Farben. Uh, Peter Peel, as we looked at in 718, is the son of a German chemical engineer from Frankfurt, Basically, when you see that, you think IG's successor organizations. His father would have been just about the right age to have served in the Hitler Youth, and his first job after getting his graduate degree was to oversee a uranium mine in Namibia that was mining uranium for the apartheid South African atomic bomb. Uh, I'm also going to include in the description, I'm not going to read it because we're running low on time, but from the Australian of October, uh, of, me, of February 8th of 2009, uh, this is from the Times Online, presumably the London Times, Thalidomide created by Nazis. And uh, one quote here, the morning sickness drug Thalidomide, which caused pregnant women to give birth to babies without arms and legs, was first developed by the Nazis, probably as part of their chemical weapons program, according to new research. So it, it is interesting that uh, Mr. Srinivasan, uh, Peel's pick to deregulate FDA, uh, cited thalidomide. So for every thalidomide, there are millions of uh, deaths from slow rollouts. Well, uh, Operation Warp Speed, I would note, uh, Trump's vaccine development program was overseen by none other than Monsef Slawi. He was in charge of product development for Moderna, which had never bought brought a product to market prior to the COVID-19 vaccine. His top aide was a four-star general, General Gustav Perma, and the military was heavily involved with that program. Again, to what extent... Uh, we, again, we look at very serious indications that the pandemic was created. Again, the EcoHealth Alliance, Medibiaba, InQtel, uh, Munich Reinsurance Consortium being front and center there. And the aforementioned programs for the record, 1251, building on the research done in not only the Oswald Institute of Virology series, but some of the early programs I did in the pandemic called the Magic Virus Theory. Uh, the notion was this virus just came out of nowhere. But again, uh, did we see 
uh, a, a kneecapping of the FDA under uh, Trump, and is Biden's apparent continuing of the kneecapping of the FDA, basically uh, another element of continuity, and there have been far too many of those between Trump and Biden. Biden made a speech yesterday, talked about how American democracy was under fire. Well, I'd have to say to Aviator Joe, Aviator Glasses Joe, American democracy was literally under fire on November 22nd of 1963 in downtown Dallas, Texas, and the official version of that is completely ridiculous in every way, yet Biden adheres to that, and Aviator Glasses Joe uh, once again, like Trump, delayed release of documents that should have been released. Are uh, the reason why we, is the reason why we have, you know, the, of mice and men, so to speak, new COVID boosters, trials, again, no human trials, just mice. Is that because of the continuity between Trump and Biden about the FDA? Again, is that the, sort of the teal verse as applied to the FDA continued from Trump to Biden? Again, that's certainly something that uh, warrants uh, serious consideration. Another thing that is chilling, and that is uh, Biden's sort of libertarian approach to pandemic uh, containment. Uh, an article from the New York Times by David Wallace Wells, March 24, uh, uh, July 24th of 2022. And then the COVID-19 is looking brutal. More than 300 Americans, skipping down, more than 300 Americans have been dying nearly every day for months. The number is today above 400 and growing. Right now, Dr. Trevor Bedford says around 5% of the country is getting infected with the coronavirus each month, and he expects that pattern to largely continue. What would that imply death-wise, I ask? As a ballpark estimate, he says, going forward, we can expect that every year around 50% of Americans will be infected and more than 100,000 will die. 100,000 deaths is more than the annual toll of any other infectious disease and would make COVID-19 a top 10 cause of death in the country, a major and novel cause of widespread death, clouding the American horizon with another dark layer of morbidity we had never known before. It's a few multiples of a typical flu season and more than die each year from diabetes, pneumonia, or kidney disease. It is what this newspaper once called in an immortal front-page banner, an incalculable loss. How do you calculate a loss ten times as high? How can you reckon with that level of dying each year going forward? According to Céline Gounder, G-O-U-N-D-E-R, an infectious disease epidemiologist and a senior fellow at the Kaiser Family Foundation, that figure is actually the low end the ballpark, she says, runs from 100,000 to 250,000. That's not her estimate of this year's toll, but of the annual continuing mortality burden rolling forward indefinitely into the future. And the question I have is, how much death are we okay with, she asks. Have we decided this is okay? And if so, why? Skipping down. COVID-19 has always been a disease of the elderly, 
define almost more by its age skew of mortality than by any of its other characteristics, with risk bubbling roughly every eight years and octogenarians hundreds of times more at risk of death than young adults. But in a time of widespread vaccination and almost universal infection, the gap may well expand. Dr. Michael Mina compares the building of immunity to the learning of a language, quote, It's a fact of the biology of immunity that it's really hard to build a brand new memory and keep it if you're old, he says. And so I do think that for quite a while, our elderly population is going to have, is going to keep having really big problems because they just can't retain these new memories, unquote. People exposed today who will become 80 years old in 25 years ago, in 25 years or so, excuse me, won't have the same problem, Mina says, because they will have built their immune memory at a younger age. Uh, again, uh, one of the things I find most disturbing about Biden is, despite the differences, which I think in many ways are a mask, obviously he's uh, superficially better on environment, and yet... Uh, his launching of the war in Ukraine, and we're going to get back to that war in our next series, uh, has not only handicapped green policies worldwide, but shove up the price of uh, petrochemicals. His national security policy with regard to China has uh, put a damper on the accessibility or the price of solar technology. And uh, his... Policies with regard to uh, COVID-19, I think, are open to question. Uh, basically, I think one of the things about COVID-19, it is basically the eugenic virus or the T4 virus. Uh, the P4 program, Oxyon P4, or P4, it was named for Tiergarten Strasse 4. That was the name of the building in Berlin at which the Nazi eugenics program was uh, headquartered. And again, they got rid of the very elderly people who were seriously ill but not wealthy enough to, to uh, afford health care, people with psychiatric disorders, people with uh, birth conditions like Down syndrome, they were liquidated in Nazi Germany, as were old folks who just weren't any good as workers anymore if they didn't have a lot of money. And I find in COVID-19, going into this year, uh, or at the beginning of this year, one in every 100 Americans 65 years or over had died of COVID-19. That certainly eases the burden on Medicare and Social Security. And I wonder, uh, Biden has basically said that his policy is to keep America uh, ahead of China. And part of that is uh, trimming expenses, although obviously not at the Pentagon, and uh, maximizing uh, our competitiveness economically, getting rid of old folks who... Uh, soak up money via Social Security, even though they paid for it, and Medicare uh, is certainly going to make our workforce uh, or our population more workforce efficient, to coin a term. And uh, I do not like uh, the easing of restrictions by Biden. Certainly nobody likes wearing masks, but I think 
politics. Uh, and the electability have had a lot to do with that. And beyond that, even though Aviator's Glasses, Aviator Glasses Joe has given lip service to expanding social security, note the following. This from Conservian News of July 6th of 2022. Biden's nominee for Social Security Board by Jake Johnson from Common Dreams. Defenders of Social Security on Tuesday urged the U.S. Senate to block President Joe Biden's little notice nomination of Andrew Biggs, an American Enterprise Institute senior fellow with a history of supporting Social Security privatization to serve on the independent and bipartisan Social Security Advisory Board. Biden was vice president when former President Barack Obama proposed a grand bargain with the GOP that would have entailed cuts to Social Security. Briggs, too, has a long record of advocating Social Security cuts. As Cunningham Cook wrote last month, for years, Biggs has been a vocal critic of expanded Social Security and workers' right to a secure, stable retirement free from the vagaries of the stock market. Joe Biden, by the way, uh, favored that grand bargain as well. Why is Joe Biden appointing somebody like former George W. Bush staffer Andrew Biggs, who favored cutting Social Security and privatizing what was left? Why has he nominated him to the uh, Social Security Advisory Board? Again, very strange. Does that have anything to do with his COVID policy? Uh, again, I, I do not like Joe Biden as vice president. He was in charge of American policy vis-a-vis Ukraine. That puts him right at the center of the imposition of the OUNB successor Nazis in Ukraine. And uh, we're going to come back to uh, the fruits of that as well. I would note, by the way, that uh, both Bernie Sanders... And Elizabeth Warren, reading from this article, last month, and this would be in June, last month, Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren led the introduction of the Social Security Expansion Act, which would lift the cap on income subject to the Social Security payroll tax and boost the program's annual benefits by $2,400. Again, I... uh wonder. It would be interesting to see if I don't, somehow I don't think that will pass, but if it does, it will be interesting to see if Joe Biden signs it. Uh, I don't think we'll see uh, Biden lobbying for it. I don't think we'll see Chuck Schumer lobbying for it. And again, if Joe Biden is such a wonderful guy, why did Aviator Glasses Joe appoint Andrew Biggs, again, a George W. Bush flunky, who wanted to slash Social Security and privatize what was left? Why did he appoint him to the Social Security Advisory Board? And again, I think there are some very serious questions to be asked about uh, what the FDA is doing. Why? Are we seeing mouse trials for the new uh, vaccines? Not very encouraging. However, that is all we have time for. This concludes for the record program number 1258, Pandemics Incorporated, Part 8. This is being recorded on September 2nd of the year 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun. <laughs>